that was one of the light bulbs moments for me uh, was that social bots are really the next operating system that people are spying for. That's what Microsoft and Google and, and Apple and Amazon are all doing. They want <laughs> this to be the next Windows. Hello everyone and welcome to the first ever episode of the podcast. I'm your host Marco Oliver and over the next few months we'll be speaking to professionals who use AI, chatbots and voice and we'll be talking to them essentially about how they're using the technology, um, the impact that the technology's had on their industries and we'll be trying to dive into the, the good, the bad and the ugly aspects of implementing this technology. So we've got some fantastic guests lined up for you and we've done some really good interviews so far, which I can't wait for you to hear. Um, we've had great insights into things like how uh, people are saving money, uh, how they're making money, and how they've improved their customer service um, using all of that technology. So let's dive straight into the first episode. Welcome to the podcast. As is the first episode, I should probably tell you a little bit about the Botcast team. So as I said earlier, I'm Marco. I'm the Client Success Director at We Build Bots. My role is to help clients understand and achieve the full potential of our cognitive AI chatbots. And I bridge the gap between the business and the technical teams. So there's some parallels in what I'm trying to do with the podcast, really. We want people to, who are listening to understand the technology to a point. But really what we're trying to achieve is for people to understand the real world application and how it's going to improve their life and how it's going to improve their business uh, if you implemented AI or chatbots or voice technology. And I will also be joined by Lucy Hopkins, who's our Botcast researcher and also the marketing manager at We Build Bots. So Lucy will be joining me at the end of episodes. We'll be discussing the podcast and um, any trend in tech news that Lucy's managed to dig up. So yeah, exciting times ahead. So without further ado, let's get into the first episode and introduce our first guest. So our first guest is Julian Harris, who is the head of technology research at Cognition X. We're going to be talking to Julian about all things chatbot and his company at Cognition X. I will let him explain during the interview and we go through quite a lot of detail in his primer, which has just been released and is in the show notes below. I highly recommend you go and read it. It's really interesting in terms of what's going on in, in the chatbot world at the moment. Um, and Julian's got a really extensive work history. He has he spent eight years at Google. He's got experience in the government and um yeah, he's a really interesting guy to talk to. Actually, I should say before we play the interview, um, the place we were recording decided to have, I think, what was a full renovation in the middle of the interview. Um, Julian did fantastically just carrying on, but there was a, a few knocks and bangs. Um, we've done our best to edit it out and most of it's fine. But if you do hear a few knocks, then please ignore them. So let's dive right in and hear what Julian had to say. Hi, Julian. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today and being one of our first ever guests. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Great. So 
let's just dive right in. Um, I'm looking at your work history, which is in front of me, and it's mightily impressive, I must say. Um, would you like to give the listeners um, a sort of a rundown on your journey to becoming the head of technology research at Cognition X? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Well, I've been very lucky to have been uh, creating internet software since the early 90s when the internet really became consumerized. Uh, and so that's been a very, so really I've become one of the, I guess one of the first digital natives where I've really been using internet technologies for now probably 25 years. And in that time, I've also spent about seven, eight years at Google, which was very interesting to be in a company at that stage where it was really leading in so many areas. And then then I spent some time in government where I was tasked with creating an emerging technology function in Department for Work and Pensions. And that was very fulfilling work, you know, working with another part of society, another group of, another target audience. And it actually led me to create the UK government's first Alexa skill for pension age calculations. And that's open source. You can see it on GitHub. And okay. this was interesting because it, it, that journey was coming through the early stages of conversational computing and looking at okay, when, when the, the world of the Department for Work and Pensions is really, um, there's an, the, the, you, the, the beneficiaries of that department typically have struggles with digital inclusion, that is using computers. And so when I saw the, Alexa, the Echo when it came out in the UK in 2016, I thought, well, what we have here is a hands-free voice-only computer that costs mm-hmm. 50 pounds. And so that's pretty extraordinary. And that could be a really new avenue for making available uh, government services in a very effective uh, effective way. And in fact, what's really exciting to see is that HMRC has actually launched a skill recently too, um, taking advantage of of that insight. So um, that was a very, very interesting journey. And it, being a part of emerging technology, I looked at the landscape of different areas and thought, well, where is the next really interesting space? You know, there's blockchain, there's VR, and there's some AI and, and other things. And I think that I really put my finger on artificial intelligence and machine learning as an exciting area because it seemed to be another wave that was starting to disrupt pretty much everything. And that's exciting to be part of, and that's what I like doing most is connecting people with technology in useful ways. And so to that extent, um, when I got invited by Charlie Muirhead, uh, uh, the co-founder and CEO of CognitionX, uh, to join as a senior leader in the team, um, I definitely put my hand up because uh, CognitionX is doing some very interesting things around bringing, helping people uh, navigate this space, navigate the impact and disruption that AI is, is making and help accelerate that in a way that's also um, ethical and, and mm-hmm. um uh, sound for people to to do with um. yeah I mean that that's a really good point um, and I think there's always an ethical dispute when you talk to uh, talk about AI to people um, and, and I think some people believe that you know people are just trying to replace jobs and, and that's not necessarily the case I think people who work in AI it's about improving sort of customer experience it's about making people's lives just generally easier and, and I think there's opportunity there for people who do tasks where they're just sort of um, pressing buttons on a day-to-day basis they remove, remove all the mundane aspects aspects of their job and then that allows them to focus on and cross train on the more exciting aspects so there's several sides to it and we can cover that in more detail but 
let's just sort of dive into Cognition X. What is the the business model uh, for Cognition X? What, what's your kind of your primary focus at Cognition X? Yeah, well, our tagline is accelerating the adoption of AI responsibly, and so the. The, we have multiple different offerings that are all really trying to help people engage with the AI community, with understanding and making sense of the disruption and providing different ways in which people can uh, to adapt and, uh, and take a, harness the, the technology and the, the consequences of that. So the different things we have, we have, we have the, work, the research programs, which I'm leading one on the chatbot and natural language processing one. We also have HR. The impact of AI on HR is mm-hmm. is for the one actually launched launched first, which was with um, my my counterpart Ian Bailey, who was a senior executive at Cisco for many years and has some experience with this. So, so we have this work stream of of research streams where we help people understand a space and keep up to date with that space. And so you, uh, the primer that you've read, the, ch- the chatbot primer is a good example of understanding the landscape. So the yeah. landscape says, this is what the reality is, this is how it is in business terms, this is the impact and this is the future. So that's the research stream. And we have others too that we're building as well. As part of our offering, we're also wanting to build um, a directory of resources for people <laughs> keeping up to date. So this, this uh, directory is, products and news and other resources, all things AI for each of the topics. So it's a place that people can go to to learn about everything related to the impact of HR and AI in terms of news and in terms of uh, products. And so that's another offering that we have. Yeah. And, and we're going to be doing that with chatbots too. So th- there will be a place where we'll have a curated source of of information about chatbots and from a business perspective largely. So there's a lot of technical resources and that's not really space. We see that the, there's a gap, but we see there's a big space where people are trying to say, well, how do we make sense of this? What's important? And so, you know, we have a we have several hundred news feeds that we read every day and we produce summaries of these and insights. And that's that's going to be launched sometime this year for chatbots yeah. and it's and it's live in the products and uh, news articles for HR. So that's that's the help that's going to be largely free. So if you go to directory.cognitionnext.com, you can get that list of HR products there. It's a catalog of products rather than a comprehensive re- review source. Um, and that's because we want to um, address the primary objective of, of scope, like what is out there? What are the things that are there? So the categorization and and and, and cataloging is our first and foremost objective. Uh, there's lots of resources out there to look at the exact capabilities of each and individual um, of one of these products and yeah. have ways of helping that um, develop over time. But the first and foremost objective is, for instance, when we were commissioned by the Mayor of London to create a report on the AI census of London, uh, we came up with 768 companies in London who provide AI capability. And with that number, we have them listed in the directory as well. So if you're wanting to see which companies in London do AI, then that is one of another facet that's provided. Yeah, I mean, wow. I mean, that's a large number of businesses just for London. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm amazed by that, actually. I mean, even we'll, we'll talk about the primer shortly, but even in the primer, you sort of mention um, the Gartner hype cycle. And we're kind of at the pinnacle uh, of that point at the moment, I think, before things start to level off and the, and the hype dies down a little bit. Um, but even given that, do you still, f- I mean, that's a large number of businesses um, just focusing on, on AI and chatbots. Is that something you're expecting to see? I think everyone, everyone's 
first reaction is, wow, that there are a lot. And, you know, the number of companies in London with that profile is more than Berlin and Paris combined. So it's definitely putting London as the capital of Europe, the AI capital of Europe. And that's that's a deep insight that's really helping a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, I don't think anyone was expecting that number um, or the engagement, like of those 768 or thereabouts uh, companies, we got well over half of those responding to a detailed questionnaire. So that free report, if you download, if you search for mayor of London, AI census, Cognition X or something along those lines, we can put a link in the show notes, I guess. Oh yeah, definitely. That that that's a free download, and that was you know it's provided by Mayor of London. That that report has a lot of insight that can help anyone put forward a case for why they should be investing in in London, which is really exciting. And you know, to us, that's great because that's where we're based, and it's really nice to be, you know, helping you know foster that that um, that uh, the adoption of AI um, responsibly. And so we feel like really supports that overall objective we had. Yeah, yeah. I mean. So your primer was was fascinating, um, and I mean we briefly discussed it before we we had a chat. And you know, I, I've not only have I read the primer, I was lucky enough to uh, watch the webinar from a beach in Italy where I was um, sunbathing. <laughs> so that was very nice. Um, I mean, there were some really fascinating points in there. So I, I, obviously at WeBuildBots, we, we're focusing primarily on uh, task bots. I hadn't really considered the the other side of that, and, and that is that there's social bots just the primary focus of keeping people from feeling lonely which which is is amazing i mean one of the ones that you actually mention in, in there is the the microsoft microsoft um shower ice which i believe has 100 million users and 25 percent of those users have said i love you at one point or other that is unbelievable it's jaw-dropping so the primer has a link to the original paper that microsoft published on this it was definitely the, one of the most interesting papers I've come across because they were, so they were, what they've been doing is extraordinary and they've been doing it for some time. I mean, in, in chatbot years, they've been doing it for four years, which is, you know, obviously we've had Eliza from 1966 and we've had Mitsuku. It's been around for many years. But 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 this this stuff that they did with Show Ice and Rina and Rue and Zoe and, you know, this little blip for 16 hours with Tay. <laughs> um, this, this, this is extraordinary. And it's, it's really good feedback because I have had a lot of people saying that that slide, that view of task bots versus social bots was probably the most interesting. And I think that in terms of future, which is always exciting because there's no real commitment to anything. I think yeah. the, the most, it's really fascinating because we've got the Alexa skills challenge too. And you see what's mm-hmm. going on there. And that's been very, very interesting uh, in terms of the objective of just being able to have a, a chat, a chat with Alexa instead of a task. So basically another way of seeing the Alexa skills challenge is it's the Alexa social bot challenge. It's how can, basically it's asking all the universities and other institutions that were invited, can you help us create technology that makes Alexa a social bot? And why is yeah. that important? Because social bots, as I've been, that was one of the light bulbs moments for me, uh, was that social bots are really the next operating system that people are spying for. That's what Microsoft and Google and and Apple and Amazon are all doing. They want mm-hmm. this to be the next Windows. You know, the the the, the place that you go to by default to do yeah. anything, to access any information, access products and services. And this is this is something that I didn't really appreciate, but I imagine that every one of those vendors has got that bullseye right in front of them. Uh, and but it is an insanely difficult challenge because you need 
a chatbot, a genuine chatbot that you can chat to so that you can say, for instance, um, what, uh, you know, order Chinese for us after my last meeting today. That, that, that's actually a task, but you can only really do that when you have a view of, of um, all of your points. So that's yeah. the virtual assistant view. It's becoming pretty integrated at that point, isn't it? Because you're pulling data from various different sources and having to, to link it all up together um, and, and then pass that information back via the chat. Yeah, and that's actually just the first level, that personal assistant. And I really liked, there was a description someone made, and apologies, I can't remember who it was. They said, if you want to think of the ultimate virtual assistant, think of a really good human assistant. And that's really what you're aspiring to, to be a personal assistant. And the part of being really good is two things, having enough information, enough context to be able to understand what is meant, but equally also then enough intelligence to take initiative. So, you know, if you think of a great assistant, I say, look, this invite came through. Um, it's this really important pitch that you're working on. So I've rescheduled these other events. And by the way, because this is back to back, I've ordered some sushi to arrive on the meeting room when you come in, you know, this kind of stuff. This is, this is what a, we have great assistants in our company and that's what they do. They're like, they're proactive yeah, yeah. And, and they have the context, but it's immensely difficult. And that's why this first level of, being able to connect services together in that way where the context is not reasonably available to typical services, like the calendaring system won't know who your favorite food is, um, nor will the, yeah. the favorite food supplier know your calendar. So these, that's just level one. And then when you go from there, the, the, the next thing is, and again, the Microsoft paper illustrates some of this, where there's a conversation in, China, in Japanese where the, the, the person says, I'm hungry. And they just talk about what do they like to eat? And oh, well, I don't know. And I said, well, what about cookies? Oh, uh, yeah, they sound good. What flavors are nice? Oh, well, coconut's good. And why don't you, if you, you know, I can give you a coupon. And so it's like, oh, here's a cookie coupon. So that's a conversation. Yeah. It's a conversation. It's a chat, not a task, because they didn't even know what they wanted. They said, I'm hungry, but it was very vague. So this is why the other component of the, of the, the chatbot quality framework we use, I think still has, was holding water in it a little bit. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's, it's um, which is the ACE framework, the ability of a chatbot to handle ambiguity, yeah. handle, handle conversation and handle emotion as a way of conversation. Yeah. So I think we need to get that implemented ASAP because I think Saturday evenings in my, in my household will be far easier uh, if I could send send my wife to a chatbot to decide what we're going to have for, for a takeaway rather than uh, spending hours deciding. Um, I mean, yeah, that's a really interesting use case, actually. Um, it's, a, it's a step, as we said earlier, in the right direction in terms of just making life easier with chatbots. I think you're right. And I think that making things easier is fundamentally what is driving society development, if you look at it. Growth and ultimately making things easier. So there's not really anything new in that, except that this is a new frontier where there's only so much more ease you can gain from using a desktop computer. We do need to move to this new frontier of being able to walk around and talk with a computer and, and explore ideas and have a conversation. My ideal scenario is actually around travel. So we eventually did go on holiday last week, but the conversation that is involved in coming up with a place is complicated. And, you know, yeah. the natural language conversation is really good when you do have that ambiguity, that uncertainty, and there's a lack of clarity, and you need to have a, an exchange to iterate and eventually hone down what you really want. And so in the case of travel, you know, you say, well, I want to go on a holiday. It's, 
And, and immediately, I would like it to know that one of my kids is on school holidays. So there's a pretty clear defined period that, that is connected to. So yeah. say, and that in fact, with young kids, probably no more than a couple of hours flight is going to be, you know, so prioritize on flight time, temperature, mm-hmm. probably don't want to go somewhere that's over 35. And so there's a bunch of context there, but also I don't really know. So, and in fact, I think a lot of websites can implement this pretty much today as if you could have a conversation to say, well, I don't know, I think we want to take probably two weekends and but sometime in the next six weeks and they'll be like okay and then come up with ideas and i don't think any website currently does that well and they will start doing this and when they have a voice conversation the working memory of what's going on is that's one of the most difficult tasks with voice design because you have no guide rails by which you have a conversation and so the best way is for the system to deeply respect the most likely things the person's able to remember at any one point. And so you and I can have a conversation that will actually have a very complex shared understanding or context. But yeah. if it but but that's because we we know and have some expectations around as human beings what is a reasonable thing for the other person to remember and understand. And this is the biggest design challenge that voice designers have today is that you may start with a veneer of a voice conversation, but the moment it stops relating to you as a, a, a human being, all bits are off and you suddenly don't really know what or how to engage or what it can reasonably expect it to be understand, to understand and to, to have memory on. There's a really yeah. good es- essay on this actually in a book that was published recently called Ubiquitous Conversations. And one of the essays is about this challenge of, of the personification and how that changes your relationship so yeah, that, yeah that's so the voice space is very interesting and there's a lot of excitement in the vc world voice is hot and there are actually a lot of product companies who have dumped text and moved to voice because it's it's hotter in some way it's also immensely yeah. it's immensely difficult though and immensely difficult that's really interesting what you've just said there i mean voice is definitely i think the direction that things are going and i think you know, with voice, we're a little bit off where it, where it needs to be at the moment. It's not quite um, as capable as, as the text element of it. But, I mean, voice gives, for example, the elderly, it gives them accessibility um, to these kinds of services. It might not be as familiar when it comes to um, texting or being on social media or um, using messaging services. Whereas millennials, for example, will use that service quite heavily. So do you think there is room for both voice and text going forward? Or do you think it will maybe move towards the direction of only voice? Well, I think so. voice is the natural interface for people. It's It's the thing that kids use from you know, even as young as 18 months. Yeah. So it's, it's the most natural thing. And the best computer experience is one that marries our abilities and adapts to that and takes advantage of that and adapts and supports that. So I think you're right that voice is, is, is natural for when you want to communicate certain things. So when you're talking about an idea or you're, you want to provide you know, like have a conversation around travel dates or, 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 you know, winter, winter, do something in the evening with friends. So this, this is a very, very natural way of computers developing. That's going to make things easier for people in that way and make it more effective. So in theory, freeing them up um, to have more time. So there are other aspects though, of course, we can't forget our eyes. Our eyes are actually pretty good things. They're pretty good for, 
absorbing vast quantities of information instantly. And so I think the real sweet spot, which is the term I'm kicking around around the future of chatbots and any emerging tech, is where you have you have voice as your starting point to initiate. And when there is supporting information that's best communicated back to people visually, then so be it. And so you have it. So you've got Amazon Show and Amazon Look as two mm-hmm. leaders in this space or examples of this. And, you know, um, that's going to continue. And I think so So the this mixed mode model will be be par for the course. Um, and so, you know, people have their phones and other devices will eventually get, get connected more and more. But I think that the ability for you to have a conversation with your phone and have the phone show visual images to support the answer is, and then be able to press buttons and things as a complementary um, aid is, is going to be incredibly um, natural, I think, to be able to do that. Yeah. Regarding, the, regarding text, so there's an interesting development around text. I mean, text, the, the numbers we've estimated for the number of people who are sending messages, text, instant messages around the world is around about a, around a hundred billion a day. It's, wow. That is massive. And that, so that, that's a lot and it's not going away and it's, it's done by, you know, most of the people on the planet. The, there's a number of reasons why this is attractive. One of them is that you can do it in private. So you can send a text and you don't need to worry about largely people's understanding or hearing or discovering what you say. Yeah. So text, text is a private channel. It's also persistent that you can have a visual conversation. Now, obviously you could talk and voice and it could be transcribed, no problem. But the, 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 there's an element of discretion. And correspondingly, the even if you're worried about people, even if you're not worried about people hearing what you say, you also need to, um, what you're saying is naturally going to be distracting for other people. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's why maybe chatbots won't ever go completely voice operated. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's just exciting, isn't it? It's a really exciting prospect for how easy it could be for people just to get what they want um, from whether that be customer service or um, just placing orders or it's just it's just very very exciting I mean uh, so again coming back to the primer um, you mentioned there was a bank in South Korea which I think is 80 to sort of 90 percent um, automated now online um, via chatbots uh, and they're looking to get it to 100 percent I mean that's quite interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I, a world where we have a hundred percent chat, uh, you know, chatbot automated services. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's exciting. What, what, what do you sort of feel about that? Yeah, so I mean, there are chatbots today that are hundred percent already. You've got a lot of bots that are completely. Uh, there is no human escalation component. There's these like Just Eat's got a chatbot. These are just. You know, it's like a website. I mean, you need to bear in mind that when you go to Amazon, it's 100%, you know, completely automated. Um, when they have escalation, that's where it gets really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. The the and and I think that the idea of 100% will, I mean, it it's being solved in different ways. So you've got a conventional bot that is with no human backing at all. You've also got um, systems where users become a fallback. So if you look at GifGaf in the UK, there are one of the reasons their their proposition is that we're cheap because we our support is mostly from the community. 
So they've created a service that is essentially zero maintenance. Like I've had GiveGet for some years now, and I just basically don't have any problems. I mean, they have a, you know, there's a, a reseller that does things. Uh, yeah. I had one issue and I went to the forums and I think I had one issue with, um, with another provider, another s- service where there wasn't it, there was ultimately a escalation, mm-hmm. but it was extremely rare compared to something like say a bank, say first direct who they do an excellent service by having amazingly quick pickup times on a call. When you call first direct, they'll like, hello within like two seconds or one second. And their mm-hmm. model is a personal touch and such. Like. So that's, so that there's always going to be that spectrum. And so there's going to be essentially commodity services where the business model is so well, the operational model is so well, such a well-oiled machine that you just don't really need people. All of the exceptions have been codified. It's all just dealt with. And the, a glimpse of how this could be completely 100% is in the blockchain world of digitally autonomous organizations, DAOs, DAOs mm-hmm. they're called. And this is where basically they say code is law and every single policy, every single business process is coded. It's written. And so that's that's an interesting world where people want to create an entirely autonomous service that that has no people involvement at all. So they design the entire business. And the thing is, you can't do that straight away. You need to get there through, you know, trying it out first with people and things. So the 100%, the 100% is almost, you get this asymptote where is there really any point of going full 100%? And I'll say in some situations, that will absolutely be the case that you can, but most times people will find that, you know, you're getting sort of 80 to 90% is pretty good. So you talked about the figure of 89%. Um, was it 89? I forget. 89. 80, yeah, I think it was eight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, then we've got, got Autodesk who's got, um, Things their, their measurement in terms of the number of customers they're dealing with, they're, they're getting very good satisfaction rates too. So in terms of the number yeah. of people, um, they're also getting very high satisfaction. So it's not just that it's automated, but also they're getting really good satisfaction levels. Um, so that's so it's pretty exciting. And we talk about that, we've been the primer, and we talk a little bit about Autodesk there. It's a great example of, of how this can work well. Yeah, so we're, we're finding that with our... So we build bots. Um, we essentially build um, chatbots, which are capable of dealing with the natural language processing sentiment. Um, and, and it deals with 80 to 90% of the queries because of that. Um, so th- we've got like a seamless handover, which then goes to, to the customer service representatives should they be required. The reason that you maybe sort of <laughs> heard a bit of... Um, uneasiness in, in my previous question was that I think there's certain points. So if, if for example, um, I've got a complaint or there's been a bereavement in my family or something like that, I might not want to talk to a chatbot about it. I might actually want the, the personal touch. So I think maybe there's always this possibility of requiring a handover. Um, maybe we can't always get away from that, but maybe that's just, just depends on the, on the business that's implementing the chatbot. I, I agree. I think that, I mean, keeping things, making things concrete, the, uh, the, the, the technology, if we think about for the listeners who are not maybe familiar with exactly how this is happening today, the thing that's different about say conventional customer support and what chatbot technology is now allowing is for there to be a more empathic conversation. So when it comes to escalations, for sure, you need to have people around. That's really important, and I agree that that 
the degree in which you have those people is really going to be a function of your overall service objectives and your how much you're going to be a, a quality differentiator versus a, a price differentiator or something like that. So that's a business model decision. But, but what's really exciting, and I think probably writing on what you said, is that the natural language processing is getting better every day to help people be able to understand um, what their customers are saying through chatbot technology. That's so, very true. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we were a long way away from it. I mean, I think the stats that we picked up from our fairly informal survey was that typical natural language processing components of conversations today generally feel to be around about 20% or less. So that is when you have a chatbot conversation, it'll be mostly buttons and menus and things, which is fine when that's the right engagement. But when you have buttons to choose from and you want to complain, then you probably just want to have a conversation. And that's where people are best for now. But that piece of being able to understand the nature of the complaint and empathize and engage is something that people are actively working on and getting better so that even the initial engagement of a complaint can be triaged and dealt with by bots. And I think yeah. that, so I think your point around, you, you know, I really relate to your concern of, well, if I'm just being given a bot, is that really being, what, what the word I really heard when you said it was, what I heard was that you're, it doesn't feel respectful, perhaps. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, I think with the developments in the natural language processing and then the sentiment um, detection, I think it's going to be easier as, as time goes on to kind of work out if somebody's, uh, you know, angry or distressed when they're, when they're contacting the chatbot and, and then deal with that accordingly. I think maybe the really exciting crossover points might be the combination of the task bots and the social bots and maybe using elements of, of both to come up with something that's quite universal. Yeah, I, I actually agree. And in fact, there are initiatives to do that. There is a service whose company I momentarily forget, but their basic model is that they offer horizontal chit chat to any bot. <laughs> so wow. their their whole proposition is yes the natural empathic kind of components of your conversation are are you know a normal part of it and so their proposition is that if you just drop our service in then you can have this broader engagement conversation so i think it's an interesting idea i think there's also a trap that there's a there's always one to watch out for which is around the expectations of what people can do so if i look at my son, who's my eldest, is seven. So, I interviewed him actually on my LinkedIn profile. You can see it. It's it's quite interesting because I basically said, you know, how do you solve these problems? You know, how do you find what the time is? How do you, you know, um, spell a word? What's their spelling on a word and different things like that? And and you know, it was it was like Alexa, and then the question, Alexa, then the question. And mm-hmm. the interesting thing was when I said to him, you know, well, how do you how do you wake up, how do you know, how do you make sure you wake up early in the morning? And he says, well, I set my alarm clock. <laughs> and I said, did you know that Alexa can set an alarm clock too? And he's like, no, oh, that's great. I didn't realize. <laughs> so this is the, the, the problem is when you have an interface that's in front of you, it communicates all the possibilities. With yeah. the design. And so, you know, and the expectations around what it can do is clear, the utility and the scope. But with a voice interface, it's unclear. And so you, Alexa can probably do a thousand more things than we've dreamed of. And the biggest challenge with this stuff is the milestone prior to a very natural her-like interface where you just have a very natural flow from the movie her. 
you're going to have to, the challenge is to enhance that scope of possibilities and make the, the features discoverable in an easy way. Now, it's not, you know, as a user experience designer myself, you can't expect everything to be effortless. There's going to be some training that's going to be part of it. And, pe- and studies have actually shown that people are pretty receptive to changing their engagement with voice computers when the voice computer actually guides them and corrects them and says, did you mean this or did you mean that? And, and people are smart enough to realize that next time just say that or do this and it'll be faster. So there's definitely the reality is that between a kiosk, which requires no training at all, and a fighter a cockpit of a fighter pilot, voice interfaces will naturally over to, if it's in, the, in the, this transitional period to the ultimate chatbot, there will be this part where the best interfaces, the winning interfaces, will have built-in guidance to help people know how to best engage with that voice and include discovery mechanisms as well. So that if you say, hey, I've done this thing um, or I want to do this thing, then they can say, and by the way, next time you can also just say this and I'll do that. And and that won't 100% always work. But I think that's what's going to be part of the success and future is when people are connecting um, where there is a discoverability as part of the journey. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Um, and that's probably a really good point to um, end, if that's okay with you, Julian. Sure. Um, so is your primer still available for people to access? Yeah, currently it's available complimentary. Um, it is for a limited time. So if you do want to access it, then uh, the, the bit.ly link, I can actually say it because it's fairly simple. It's bit.ly, bit.ly slash cx-chatbots but you can put the link in the show notes too i'm sure yeah, I do. um yeah. That, so yeah that is it is a it is a, a limited time we're making it available for people to download and as part of that download you also get automatically invited to the first month experience of our chatbot research so again the summary is that the, the chatbot primer is is showing you the landscape and the subscription is the way to keep you up to date and up to date and keep uh, dig into a lot more more deeply. Uh, so yeah, do try that. Um, we haven't specifically closed it off shortly, but it's likely that we're going to be up- updating it so that um, you'll get maybe just a preview of that, and then you'll need to sign up to get the full primer and future editions. So get it while you can. Yeah, and and people should because um, I mean I would highly recommend it personally. Um, right, so just to wrap up, we ask, or we're planning on asking every guest that we have on the podcast, um, if they had to live with only one application on their phone or on their computer and um, couldn't have any others, which one couldn't they live without? So are you, would you be able to answer that for us, Julian? And I know it's quite a difficult question. I do apologize. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, let's assume that I'm with all of the people that I want to talk to as part of this constraint okay communication tools aren't a problem <laughs> so therefore i think the one app that i would that i could not do without would be garage band it's a uh, musical, okay. co- musical composition tool that's what i do in my spare time it's an amazing tool to p- create music in a very powerful way so i would need um it's the most it's the most um substantial improvement in my creative abilities uh, of all the tools I have on my phone, so that's the one I'd go for. But obviously, if the other the other scenario is was well, actually, you can't guarantee people people around you all the time. Then I'll probably have to say WhatsApp. 
I don't think I would have guessed that actually. Um, but thank you so much, Julian, for for joining us. You've been a fantastic first guest for us to have on the podcast. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for your time. And with the ever changing landscape, hopefully we can have you on sometime in the future. I'd love to. Thanks, Michael. So that was the interview with Julian Harris, which, as I said, there's some really interesting discussion points, I think, in there. And it gives everybody, hopefully, a taster of the sort of um, things we'll be going into. Um, I think it'd be really good when we can focus specifically on different industries and, and, and look at how AI is impacting those industries. Um Actually, on that topic, when this podcast goes live, um, we should be going live with the second episode also at the same time. And Dr. Zara Nanu of Gap Square, who is the CEO of Gap Square, will be joining us. Um, and their primary focus is to reduce the gender pay gap. So hopefully that should be really interesting to understand how AI is is helping them do that. Um, so let's jump into some of the tech news with Lucy Hopkins. Hi everyone, I'm Lucy and as Marco said earlier, I'm the Botcast researcher as well as the marketing manager for We Build Bots. Um, I'm hopefully going to be finding you some really interesting guests for the show and bringing you conversations around AI chatbots and voice. And of course you'll be bringing us the tech news. So what have we got this week, Lucy? So we've got some interesting stories this week. Uh, First up, there's been a bit of backlash between Facebook and Wall Street Journal. So Wall Street Journal wrote an article um, implying that Facebook um, have been actively asking financial services for their transaction data. So Facebook have hit back and said it's absolutely not true. Um, that they're simply looking to partner with banks and credit card companies um, to offer services like customer chat and account management uh, through their Facebook Messenger chatbot. So. Yeah, Facebook are getting it again, aren't they? Yeah, um, yeah. Not not like unlike Facebook to be in the middle of controversy, I suppose. I know they've had hell of a year. Yeah, but on the, I mean on the plus side, if they do bring that um, service to to Messenger, then that's going to be quite good for us and everyone else as well. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Next up, then Samsung has announced its entry into the smart speaker market with their um, Galaxy Home smart speaker with Bixby. So it's a funny looking thing. It almost looks like a vase with a three pronged metal legs <laughs> and it's like covered in fabric. Um, but it does have six built in speakers and also eight mics. So it's really good for surround sound and obviously the, the quality of it, of the mics is really good too. So um, more details about this will be announced in, in November. Brilliant. Sounds pretty cool though. Yeah, no, it is cool. It's, um, it's meant to be rivaling Apple's HomePod. Oh, okay. So it'll be interesting to see what that's actually like. Yeah, definitely. So third up, um, another Samsung story. Uh, Samsung have just announced that they will invest $20 billion into AI, 5G and auto components. Wow. Yeah, so quite a big statement there. Um, They've said that 40,000 jobs will be created by doing this um, over the next three years. So really exciting for them. a thousand of these jobs will be AI researchers in centres worldwide. So it'll be really exciting to watch what happens to Samsung, actually. Yeah, very exciting. And uh, I think they need to do that, really, to go keep ahead of people like Apple or try and stay ahead if they can. I think so, yeah. Well, with this story and obviously the previous story I just talked about, it looks like they're really taking that seriously, trying to rival Apple. Yeah, that's that's cool. So have we got anything else or is, is are, we, are we wrapping up? 
Yeah, so one more story, which is probably my favourite. Um, a San Fran-based company called Primer have built an AI software which they've branded Quicksilver. Uh, so this software scans news stories online and it's actually discovered 40,000 um, prominent scientists that Wikipedia missed, mm. uh, which is crazy when you think about it. Um, so it's great, for, it's great for scientists as a whole, but it's also great for women because a lot of these articles are, are from women and on Wikipedia, 82% of the articles are written about men. That's crazy. I mean, that, that's quite good, actually, because that ties us in nicely into our, our next episode, isn't it, when we're going to be talking to uh, Dr. It, Zara Nanu? It does, actually, yeah. So Dr. Zara Nanu is on the next show. Uh, she's the CEO of Gap Square. Uh, so Gap Square are a company that use AI to close the gender pay gap. Um, last year, the, economic, the World Economic Forum said that it was going to take 217 years to close the gender pay gap. Uh, Zara and her team pledge to do it in under 20. Wow okay I'll definitely be asking her about that then. Yeah definitely she's so interesting um, she's so much fun and she's just so engaging so I'm sure it'll be a great episode. Excellent well thank you for joining us Lucy and thank you for all your hard work on the episode so far. No problem see you next week. See you next week. Thank you all for joining us on the very first episode of the podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed it. I certainly have, and I'm really looking forward to doing more of these. If you want to subscribe and, and keep up to date on our content, then you can subscribe via your favorite podcast provider. Um, our channel is called The Botcast, or you can sign up at thebotcast.com um, where you will receive reminders when new episodes go live. You'll be able to have access to bot links and resources, and uh, Lucy will be sending out sneaky previews of upcoming episodes. Also, if you want to send in any questions for future guests, um, and those will be sent out via social media channels, then you can do so by doing hashtag The Botcast, and you can also contact us via the Anchor app where you can send in your actual voice and ask the questions directly to the guests and we'll be putting those directly to them which will make for quite interesting listening um so until next time thanks for listening